This is Craftsman Coding Podcast, Episode 2. This is a two-part topic about this business of development. So this morning we're talking with Lance Selgo. Lance, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure thing, and good morning. Thanks for having me on. My name is Lance Selgo, and I am actually a real estate photographer. So I take pictures of houses for agents when they list them on the market. So I'm not necessarily the standard um, developer or coder, although I do have a bachelor's in computer science, so it interests me. But I think we have a good uh, little discussion for this morning. Yeah. So the discussion or the larger topic is is dealing with developers and getting stuff developed. So uh, I'm more of a developer type since that's my business and my profession. Um, you represent, in this case, the client who might hire out to a developer to get something done. So this is a topic that comes up, I think, pretty common as one hangs their shingle out and tries to get gigs. Um, and you had an experience in your past where uh, maybe things didn't go so well with the developer. Did I did. I did. I actually, uh, I actually reached out and hired somebody locally to do some development work because I wanted, I wanted somebody that I could, that I could actually reach out to and talk to, meet in person. Um, you know, make sure that we are on the same page. And instead of outsourcing, I went to someone local and hired them. And um, things actually didn't go very well. Uh, so I thought maybe some of the things that we could talk about today are maybe some of the ways to avoid the mistake that I did. Um, and also maybe from your end, what are some things that me as a client should expect or maybe shouldn't expect from a developer? Because now that I went through my situation, I have my ideas on how things should work. Yeah. Maybe that's not really the way that a developer <laughs> would work with me, so I don't know. You're a little bit gun-shy now. Oh, definitely. So yes. things didn't go bad all at once, right? Like you, you met with this person, and, and you talked things over, and you looked them in the eye and, and had a conversation or two. And, and I mean, how did that go? How did it go initially? Did, were there any signs that this might deteriorate later on? Yeah, so we actually met, um, we met online through Twitter, and... Um, I went, looked at his website, looked up his work, everything looked great. So we went and met in person at a Starbucks and discussed the project that I had, discussed some of the things that he had worked on. Uh, he, he was the perfect fit, uh, really, for the job. Um, I, I wasn't asking too much. My, my system was a little bit, uh, I guess, a little bit more advanced than, than what it looks like on paper, perhaps. And... When we first started, everything seemed to be going fine. Um, I gave him a 50% deposit down for the project, which I think is um, is normal. I mean, I, I had no problems doing that because mm -hmm. I thought that that's just what you do. And, and what was the budget, if you don't mind me asking, or a range of what the budget was, if you want it to be big? about $15,000 ah, so for the total budget. So on my end, that, that's a lot to put down half up. So, I mean, when I've done projects that are, say, larger than probably even larger than about 5,000. Usually uh, my contract would stipulate um, milestones. So it'd be like, okay, well, we need whatever, $1,000 to get this little thing going. And at that point, we can start rolling over into maybe 2,000 every month when this milestone is met, and then 2,000 the next month when this other milestone is met, something like that, up until final delivery. Did you yeah. feel like maybe you were overextending with putting down half of that amount up front? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I realize that now. And I'm, I'm glad that you said that because that was, that's one of the things on my list that I want to offer to other people who are in my shoes. Offer, offer up 
you know, something to get the ball rolling, offer up a smaller amount, and then have the developer, and, you know, you can sit down with them as well, but they're going to have a better idea of what needs to be done in what order, create a list of milestones, and assign payments to those milestones. I right. think that's a win-win for everybody, because you give them a little bit up front to do the work, to right. start the work, right. but then they only get paid once work is completed. Right. That just seems only fair to me. Right. That um, makes sense. I mean, as a developer, like I, I ask for something up front because I have to have some skin in the game to exactly. invest time. Maybe I need to hire some extra help to do certain parts of it. Um, I think sometimes the trick is is having something to show because sometimes like, okay, I need a month to architect the database or something. Like, what do you look at? If you're not technical, right. showing you create table statements isn't going to be a whole, you know, isn't going to be meaningful. Um, were the deliverables that that you had discussed or some of the things that uh, you had asked to see, or, or maybe I should back up. What did you ask to see or what, what were some of the deliverables? How specific were they? Yeah. So that's one of the big downfalls. Um, and I, I think a lot of that is my fault um, because I asked initially for a list of, of milestones of deliverables. I wanted to be able to see what order we were going to go in and I never actually got that list. So I delivered a requirements document that listed every every single thing that I needed in the system. Again, I, I I'm kind of familiar with development. Um, I'm I'm kind of more dangerous, you know, than anything with it because I'm not that proficient in it. But I mm -hmm. at least know how to get dirty in it. Yeah. So I, I my requirements document was very thorough, and it listed everything in there. And so I think that he kind of took that as maybe somewhat of a deliverable because it was in order kind of, of of when you would possibly develop things, but we never actually sat down and agreed upon milestones or mm -hmm. deliverables. So it was kind of just random when things were thrown my way. Hey, this is what I've been thinking of, and this is what I've been kind of working on. Right, right. So if you had to do it again now, you would break that out into pieces and pay more attention to which which bit was done when. Oh, definitely. And yeah. I think on the, on the developer side, that's only the the right way to do it because how as a developer how do you go through the whole process from start to end without having basically a, a plan in place you know oh, yeah, it, you have to but one, one of the things that I have to bring up um, it you do have to start at the beginning you know it sometimes it feels a bit like peeling an orange where you're just turning it over and over and trying to figure out where to start but with a lot of these projects it's like okay well I, I need to get my code base set up I need to have the database I'm, we're gonna have to have a server. It, some of the stuff is pretty obvious. One of the one of the things that I that that I heard you mention, and and I guess one of the things that that I would actually uh, kind of warn people on is um, after I got through with my situation, I went looking to hire somebody else because at the end of the day, I can develop my system. It's going to be hacked together and it's going to be a, a bunch of garbage, but I can do it. Um, I, I, I just don't have the time, you know. I run right. a full-time right. real estate photography business. I simply don't have the time to do it. And I've learned throughout running my business that it's best to have the expert do whatever they're best at. I'm not. Right. I, right. I don't develop on a daily basis. I don't develop on a yearly basis. You know. Right. So for, to right. have me waste my time doing that, it's simply not worth it. So yeah, the, the older I get, I, I, I find it's it's best to have somebody do the things that they're good at. And I remember <laughs> what I was going to say before is. Um, when you when you have something custom developed, it's really it's coming out as beta code for all intents and purposes. It's something new. It may be um, tested with unit tests or whatnot if you've got a good developer who's had enough time to to really test everything. But especially with a custom project, things are volatile. Things change. So 
really what's required um, and, and is tough to budget is iteration. So if you have your, your spec document and, and you've defined all the functionality you need to see, that's great. However, there are always going to be some things that come up in the course of development, some questions that you didn't think of, some use cases that are rare but happen that you need to account for. And that, that requires iteration. So it requires going back over and fixing things and updating them. And um, on a larger project, I always try to bring up the fact that, hey, you're going to need support on this. I mean, you can't really build like a $15,000 application, hand off the keys and walk away from it. That's just that's Absolutely. pretty rare. Pretty rare. Yeah. And another thing, what what I've learned from doing this is, is I think I put too much on the plate at once. So, for instance, I put in my requirements document every single thing I wanted. Every, mm. every future, uh, you know, improvement, uh, any type of functionality that I could put in there, I put in there. If I had to do it all over again... I would do the base minimal viable product that I could need to get it running and get it going. Because at the end of the day, if it ends up failing, I mean, this project was for my my particular business. So I, mm -hmm. I knew that I needed all the features. So it's a little bit different um, than, than, for instance, if I was developing a product that I was trying to get other people to purchase. And I was relying on those purchases in order to deem this project a success. Mm -hmm. But I think I would still go back and only do the bare minimum just so I can get it going. I have that lower budget cost because it's not going to take as much work to do. And then we can, from the time it's completed, we can work the, the bugs out of the little, uh, the minimal product that we have going. But then always add the features as we go you right. know, later once it's, right. once it's up and running. MVP, that's, that's critical. Minimum Viable Product. That's yeah. a hot acronym out there in the startup world. Um, but certainly, uh, and... What I try to do as a, as a developer, and it's hard to do this, but try to build milestones and deliverables that if things didn't work out with the client or if they wanted to work with somebody else internally or externally or whatever, if I could have a deliverable that, I, that was a good handoff point, to me that's a success. Because even if it's something like just specking things out, I try to write that up so that when I hand it off, the client can look at that and feel like they got something. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's hard for a developer to pick up another developer's work. So I was, I was saying I work on this one project that has about four iterations, and, and the developer is, or is, the owner is really enthusiastic about it, but he has a lot of trouble describing what he needs from a technical standpoint. And then he he's like almost ADD. He's just, he, he refuses or cannot file a bug or a feature request to save his life. So I'm left trying to figure out what he meant and, and sometimes just waiting for a response takes forever. So it's, it's really groping in the dark, trying to figure out what exactly this application is that he wants. I mean, I guess you could say, well, as long as he's coming up with funding, then, you know, what's the problem, but it is frustrating. Yeah. And I think that, I, I think that, that that can be placed on both sides of the equation in terms of communication. So from the Absolutely. client's perspective, they need to be able to communicate with the developer in order to help them along because it's it's their vision. It's not the developer's vision. The developer yeah. is just trying to put it in place. So right. I think it's important on the client side to to don't waste any time when, when the developer asks something to be tested, test it out and give appropriate feedback. And on the flip yeah. side, from the developer's standpoint, you know, communicate constantly, keep up to date with your client and let them know where you're at, where you're struggling, ask questions if you need anything with the requirements document verified uh, or explained to you. Just just keep the ball rolling because 
once I stopped hearing from my developer, I immediately went into defensive mode. And I, yeah. you know, because I knew that I knew that something was wrong and I knew he didn't want to admit it. And so I immediately started, you know, having bad thoughts in my head. And that's yeah, good yeah, for yeah, any yeah. relation. It's kind of, yeah, it's scary. It's a scary spot to be. Um, probably the biggest failing I've had as a developer is that communication. And sometimes there isn't a requirements document. And sometimes I have not uh, allowed for in the budget that amount of time to go through that stuff and get feedback on it. Because it like say you say you don't have a, a form outlined to do a certain task and, and so you sketch it out and, and you push it up on your code, but it takes more time to deploy that to a server where the client can look at it and get feedback on it. So those things add up. You can't always be deploying everything all the time. Say, hey, check this out, check this out. Oh, this only works when you click on these things and then you can see what I'm talking about. And that's a lot of time. So it, my feeling, I feel like on some of these projects has been not allowing for that. Right. Um, I remember uh, as far as a developer horror story, um, usually what I do is when I bring on a new client, I'll, I'll say, okay, my minimum um, investment is two hours up front because I'll, I'll maybe I'll get an email off you know, a forum or something and like, hey, can you fix this? I'm like, yeah, okay. And I require that payment up front. And usually that covers the, the whole conversations and, and then the troubleshooting. And then once the client's established, then I'm willing to do the like the fifty percent upfront type of thing, right. and 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 go from there. But on one, this is before I, I did the fifty percent. I remember I had had a guy that I met uh, online, and had, he had paid his two hours, so I thought he was good to go. And then we did a larger project, and I'd even re- recommended him to a partner of mine, and he had also done work for him because I vouched for him. And then, like you said, the guy went quiet. And he owed me, I think, around two thousand, and, and my friend um, about the same. And yeah, that that was rougher. But the the thing that's a little bit scary is is the developers usually have the upper hand there. So he right. disappeared, and yet you know we still had full logins to his server, um, and uh, only upon threat of deleting the work that we had done did he come back. Right. Well, that's good to hear that he came back. But you're so. On, on both what sides, what a headache! What a stress fest! Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't want to deal with that. Right, I don't and want to on, be the hostage taker. <laughs> yeah, and on on your end, you don't necessarily the project that you're working on isn't nece- going to necessarily be something that you can use in the future. So you, you know, from from a client standpoint, from my end, if I don't get my project done from the developer, I don't have my project. And I paid for it, but I don't get anything in return. And in mm-hmm. your case, you do the work, but it's not that you can just turn around and use that same work for somebody yeah. else. So you still get screwed very as well. Rarely. Yeah, very rarely. I mean, the, the older I get, the more I'm, I'm looking at projects where I can reuse them. So it's like, right. well, this is a one-off and, you know, whatever. It would pay the bills, but, like, I want to be doing other things. Like, this might pay well, but it's not very interesting. So it's nicer to find those things that you can reuse. It's just it is difficult to to find that to strike that balance. Yeah. So let's talk a, a second about how do, how do you think is how do you think somebody like myself should go about finding a developer and what are maybe some things that you would use um, to basically make sure that they're going to be a good fit and that they're going to be reliable and they're going to get the job done. Because that was one of the things that I messed up. I think I, I, I think I found the right person for the job. It just didn't work out. I mean, the, the developer was definitely smart enough to do the job. He just didn't do it. 
But I think that yeah. one of my one of my downfalls was I didn't necessarily follow through with any references. I just took his word that everything, all the projects that he had posted online were done satisfactory, completed on time, that type of thing. I wish I would have gone back and actually contacted those individuals to see how things mm-hmm. went because I have a gut feeling that things, even though the project might have been completed, it might have been something that drug on and on and on and on and on. Yeah, that's an excellent question. And unlike carpenters or electricians, there's not some developers union where you can pull somebody's credentials and get feedback. So it's it's up to you to pull references and check the guy out. Right. Um, like word of mouth. Like Honestly, most of my work comes through word of mouth. If I worked for one client and they were happy with me and, and then somebody else asked them, hey, I got something to build, who, who would you recommend? And my name comes up, great. Yeah, I, I think I would definitely dig a little bit deeper into my network next time to find somebody. So I would somehow be linked with somebody that I know and trust. It was just difficult for for me because my, my I thought my project was well advanced than what the majority of people I'm surrounded with would ever do. So like, for instance, the majority mm-hmm. of people that I know that are small business owners, the, the most that they have for their website is it's basically a portfolio that shows pictures of their work. They don't have a back-end mm-hmm. login system that accepts payments that allows photo uploads, you know. So it seemed to right. me when people were giving me, um, were, they were giving me referrals, I would talk to them and they'd be like, oh, I don't do that. I, I do like, I, I can put a WordPress theme together. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Let me start on WordPress. But one of the things that, that I struggle with as a back-end developer, I mean, I, I can fumble through front-end stuff, but like what's a pro- portfolio for me? You know, right. people ask me that all the time. Well, where can I see your work? It's like, well, if yeah, I can show you the site, and if it looks great, I would love to take credit for it, but I had nothing to do with that. Right, if I was fortunate enough to work with some really talented designer, great, it looks wonderful. But I can tell you some of the best work I've done technically, it's not visible or it doesn't look like much. I mean, a good example of this is, is um, Craigslist. You know, a simple site, kind of ugly, but that thing works. Like right, some developer exactly. did it right, yep. you know, has not had any major catastrophes from the technology standpoint in years. Like, great. I mean, who wants to see that? Who's like, who's going to get hired off that gig? Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, most of the clients I talk to, like, oh, well, I mean, I've even had clients tell me, oh, man, you're like before I updated my site. And it was like, oh, well, I don't know. This looks pretty, pretty sketchy. Like, I don't know about your theme here or something. It's like, are you that shallow? Are you, I mean, it's, it's ignorance really because right, of the yeah, stuff, who cares? Yep. Who yeah. cares? Like to me, it matters not, but I realize that it's, it's more of a subtle game. So right. and we, maybe and, other you developers know, are as, oh, go ahead. Yeah. yeah and I, I, I think, you know, definitely from the client standpoint, I, we don't necessarily. I mean, I know. I know a little bit. Again, just to be dangerous. So I, I understand the difference between design and develop. But a lot of people probably don't. So they will make that decision, that poor decision, off the front end of just looking mm-hmm. at a website and being like, "Oh, that looks kind of janky." And so they may not make a decision to hire you based off of that, just because of ignorance. They don't know any better. Yeah, I made an off-color comment. I got into trouble once. I'll, I'll reword it here for. Um, politically correctness, but it's, it's sort of like, uh, dating a girl because she's attractive. And then you find out like, Oh, that was a really pretty <laughs> good designer, but maybe the developer didn't, you know, not much upstairs to talk to or something. Right. Like it's vapid yep. and there's nothing behind it. I mean, it, 
that's that doesn't really work. But the idea is that there's so much going on on the development side. I mean, I, WordPress is um, one fertile topic for me, but one that I've seen over and over again are these um, these folks that uh, say they're developers, and what they mean is that they can install some WordPress themes and plugins, and maybe they can customize them. But when it comes down to like do something off the shelf or do some customizations that are maybe a little bit more off the rails, no idea what they're doing. Yep. And yet they're branding themselves as developers. Right. So um, one, of the, one of the interesting things is, um, you know, speaking of where to find developers, Elance or Odesk, um, I've, I've advertised there, I've picked up some clients there in the past. Um, but interestingly, m- most often um, I'm, more than actually getting jobs from there, I'm getting jobs where I'm fixing something that was done on there, which oh, is a bit yeah, unfortunate. Right. But it, it just goes to show that the, the design work um, works better uh, remotely because yeah. you can see it. You can look at it and say, yeah, that, that looks good. I mean, you, can, you don't have to be a, a rocket scientist to evaluate a Photoshop proof. You can just look at it and go, yeah, that's the color and the layout, whatever. But yeah. evaluating code, that takes a lot more time. Yeah, and sometimes he, it's not immediately evident that it's going to self that it's going to fall apart. Like what works now may not work in six months. Right. Yeah. Elance and Odesk. I I definitely went there for um before I I hired my developer. I went there to to try to you know see what things were like because I've heard great things about both sites. But for for me personally, Elance and Odesk are it's too it's too much it's there are too many options for me and so it, i get overwhelmed mm-hmm. and then i'm worried about yeah. you know oh my gosh I, I really don't know how to hire these people <laughs> and i don't know mm-hmm. how to you know weed out the I've, good from the bad and that type of thing so yeah i've told clients before that if they want to try to save money on something if they had a really competent project manager who can put together technical requirements and really hold someone to the fire about them or like a developer such as myself, where I can evaluate the work that's being handed over to me, well then, you know, I can use Elance for something like that. Like I, I, I've scolded design, actually, I remember I was kind of in over my head with, with work and I, I put up a, a WordPress job. So I had been maintaining a couple plugins and I was just like, I don't have time to do this. And you know, WordPress, if nothing else, is ubiquitous. So of course, you know, I posted the job and within probably an hour I had 30, 40 applications to this job. So I, I turned off the bidding and I started going through them and it terrified me. It absolutely terrified me because these were supposed dev shops, developer shops that were bidding on this. And some of the submissions in their code samples had egregious errors in them. Not just right. like dumb, stupid stuff, but like legitimate security problems. I mean, one of them or two of them had... Decent code. I wouldn't call it great code, but some of them were just like more than that were just absolutely dangerous to use on any website. And this was like they're making a living at this. And I think, my lord, sometimes you really do get what you pay for. Right. And I and I from like from from my standpoint, I don't have any idea how I would even recognize that. Like for instance, if somebody developed a project for me, I would have absolutely no idea what's either good or bad about it. I would because I'm just using it, you know, as the as the from the client side. I don't I don't know the the back end structure of it, and if uh, things are operating correctly or maliciously. I mean, who knows? 
Yeah, security is a, is, is a tricky one because you can have all the functionality and all that can be working, but security in, in terms of a web application is all about how it gets abused more than how it gets used. So it's, it's like pulling the lever the way that you didn't think it was going to get pulled and see what happens. So it, it kind of takes a different headset or mindset to look at that and figure out, is this application going to be safe or not? And there's certain habits that lend themselves to uh, less risk than others. But that, that, in my, my experience, that, that only comes with experience and training. And that's the type of thing that junior developers um, frequently run amiss on. Right. So if you had it to do over right now, you would itemize your, your minimum viable product. You'd organize yep. Yep. your I deliverables. Would take, I would take all my requirements, smash them down into something as minimal as possible. Uh, that would be step number one. Step number two is when I go to hire somebody, I, I still would like to hire somebody local. I'm, I have a small business, uh, so I like supporting the local mm -hmm. economy. Uh, that's something that's important to me because other people support me. Um, so yeah. I would definitely try to find somebody local, but I would definitely go through go through the references and I would dig into my network to try to find somebody that has some in some shape, way or form has, you know, used them or knows somebody that has used them and had a success story with them to make sure that I'm setting myself up for success because obviously my yeah. previous one um, didn't work out that way. Well, you're wiser now, right? <laughs> definitely, yeah. What, uh, and then definitely the milestones. Yeah, one question. Yep, go ahead. Yeah, milestones. Um, one question was, did you get more than one bid? Were you seriously looking at at least two different guys on this? Or had you I, pretty much settled on on one at that point? I did not. I just settled on, on um, the single offer um, because that's what, I, you know, I, I met the guy in person. Everything, you know, seemed to, to fit like glue. Uh I, I had no reason not to. Um, it, it wasn't the right decision to do, obviously. However, you know, I, I felt great doing it. I, you know, we met in person. We talked over the requirements. All of the, uh, the past work that he has done fit exa exactly into what I needed. And again, my, my, my system in itself maybe would be maybe was a little bit more advanced, but all the pieces to it were are kind of minimal. I mean, accepting payments online. Um, creating user accounts, handling minor photo things like uploading photos. So I, I, mm -hmm. it, it wasn't asking for too much. And so I was very comfortable with the decision that I made. Uh, unfortunately, it just went the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Would you consider or, or try using something off the shelf next time? Or do you think, I mean, there's so many projects out there. There's so much code thing. I mean, any, any more when I start trying to think of how to solve something, I, I end up spending more and more and more time just doing research to see like, okay, somebody's got to come up with this piece of this. Right. I think. Do you think that there's any component of what you did that was maybe you could have gotten a license for or something I, like I, that? I think everything in my system is probably already made before. Because it's it's literally mm -hmm. nothing nothing really unique. The problem is me as the client. I don't know, you know, I, I don't know how to hire somebody to do that. I don't know how to do it myself. I don't even know what languages mm -hmm. it would be done in, uh, and what platforms. I had somebody um, tell me that uh, 
that Joomla would be good with that and um, Co Joomla and CodeKit or something like that. I don't know. But like me, I don't, I don't have any clue what those are. So for, for me to even know, you know where to start to, to piece something together with components that are already made, I, I'm at a loss. I, I would have no idea. But do I think mm -hmm. that it would be possible? Absolutely. But um, I just I don't know if you know I don't know how things would be strung together to make it look good. I don't know how things would come together to make sure it behaved correctly. Um, but mm -hmm. I bet you I bet you it's possible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's that's tough. I mean, what I've noticed, and, and I'm guilty of this myself, is is when a new project comes up, I'm always thinking in terms of the stuff I know. Like, oh, I totally could use Mod X to do that. I totally could use. WordPress to, to fix that. Oh, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. If it's something I know, I think, oh, I can stretch this to, to fit it. But in reality, there might be something else out there that handles it better. Right. It's just, it, it's almost like you need a librarian, but the, the internet moves so fast. Like, who, who do you ask as a reference for how to do this stuff? So yep. I, I try to ask around in the forums and online about how to solve certain problems. And, and hopefully that's time well spent for the client if I'm hired on to consult. Because if I can... If I can spend whatever amount of time researching something and come back to the client and say, actually, you know, you thought that this was going to be whatever, a $15,000 project. I found a, a piece of software here that costs $500 and this seems to do 90% of what you need and that looks like a good way to go. Yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's valuable information. Right. Yeah, definitely. So coming from the developer what, standpoint um, and, um, and, and talking about conferences. I know there are a lot of coding conferences where people go and they give talks on, you know, usually they're focused on a specific thing. So either, you know, testing or uh, the latest and greatest uh, updates to like PHP or, or WordPress, that type of thing. Are any of the developer conferences, do they ever have any like business minded uh, discussions? Like for instance, are there, is there any talk about, you know, uh, hmm. following ethical guidelines as a developer and that type of thing. Because I, I think that some of those types of discussions could be beneficial to the developer community as a whole. Absolutely. Um, I'm sure there are topics like that brought up in, in the few conferences that I've gone to that, that has not been the subject matter, but why not? I mean, that's totally relevant. In, in my experience, some of, the, some of the conferences are a bit like going to a middle school dance. <laughs> Right. There's like all these people there and mostly they're wallflowers kind of like sitting against, this, you know, hoping no one notices that they have no idea what they're doing. There. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I've been guilty of that, too. Sometimes I'm like, man, I have no idea what they're talking about. But all right, I'm going to I'm going to smile and nod. Yeah, I so, just think that I mean, who um, knows? There's, there's a few people dancing. But yeah, I, I think there could be some more. It, it would make a great topic. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that the that there I could remember. Just... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, uh, I think that there could be maybe a little bit more guidance for a developer to help them run their business. Because at the end of the day, that's what they're doing. They're, even if they're doing it on the side, they're running a business that's going to bring in a customer and successfully complete a project for them after a payment is received. So I think that, you know, mm -hmm. some, uh, I, I, a lot of them may be doing it on the side and they may not, not think of it as a business because they're just doing it as side income. And so they may not be as uh, invested in it or invested in the knowledge of, of running a successful business and treating your clients appropriately. So I think that, that there could be some yeah. good discussion there that would definitely be um, useful to 
the, the you know, development world. Absolutely. Um, in graduate school, I, I studied music, and that was one of the most useful classes I took was a class on music business. It had nothing to do with key changes or orchestration. It was all about, hey, this is how you make sure you can pay yourself. Fascinating. And, right. and with developers, I, one thing you said struck a chord is, is if they're not doing it full time, <laughs> I'm, I'm worried. Yeah. You know? like, do you yeah. want the guy who's like a hobbyist? Or like, why isn't he doing it full time? Right. Like, is it because they're not good enough or they're just starting out? Like, what's the, there might be a good reason for that, but it's good to get to the bottom of that. The other thing that I think uh, developers tend to struggle with more because they're, they're more analytical and, and geeky types who are coding is just that social interaction. Like, they may not have the nuances as much as some other folks to get out there and represent themselves and really appreciate the fact that, hey, maybe how you dress or, or, if you show up on time or all, you know, all those little things like that, that's part of your package and you have to present yourself. Um, I think the developer community in general sometimes struggles with those types of things, maybe a bit more than others. Right. Definitely. Cause the, you know, the, um, the image is Doritos and Mountain Dew. And so it kind of, you know, depending on, <laughs> on, on what the developer has in mind and how they want to treat their business, they could either follow that image or potentially, you know, be a little bit more professional about it. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's a good topic. It's a good, there's, there's a lot of things to think of here, but, uh, let's, if we could summarize, we can, I think it comes back to communication probably more than anything else. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. And I'm thinking through the, the, some of the times where I've had things go afoul. It's, I, I feel as guilty as the client sometimes. If, if I know things were drifting out of scope and I didn't bring it up immediately, well, I may, maybe I can bring it back on track later, but it's definitely easier if I just make the correction right then and there saying, hey, you know, this is, um, I tried to talk about this and, and these items in the deliverable section of the contract that we both signed. Uh, we're starting to drift out of this. Do you, do you want us to go down this route because we may need to renegotiate or do you want us to stick with the simple version of this? Something like that. But the conversation is, is key because then you have something to go off of. Yeah, and I think that you definitely have a scenario where you're always going to find yourself in a potential situation where things aren't going to work out right. So make sure that you minimize minimize what your losses could potentially be. I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, count on losing with the relationship with the developer because that's going to set things off the, the wrong way. But I would definitely, you know, mm -hmm. realize that things just don't always work out. But if you minimize what you're going to lose, you know, by only instead of putting 50% up front, do like what we discussed earlier, put some type of retainer in the beginning of it to get work started, but at least make it so if mm -hmm. things don't work out, you don't lose as much as what you potentially could have. Yeah, I think it's important to speak up if you're uncomfortable with, with getting too exposed on either end. And the older I get, the more I feel like I'm able to communicate that. It, it does remind me a lot of a romantic relationship. I've been married, I'm divorced, and, and before I was married, I couldn't conceive of the idea of a prenup. Like, that just seemed ridiculous. But, you know, having gone through a divorce, like I said, okay, I get it. You know, like, this, this seems all fun and 
fun and games, but you know, things turn sour, then are you protecting yourself? Have you overextended yourself? Right. And it's fair to do that. I mean, that sounds maybe cynical, but it's, it's just like looking out for number one and you gotta, you gotta watch yourself with that. And as I'm talking with clients, I, that maybe that's just me being cynical, but uh, part of my mind is always thinking, okay, well, if this did go south, how would this work? And can I still maintain a good relationship or at least a friendly relationship with this person and maybe not have them as a client? Or is this the type of person who might explode and things get nasty? You know, it's, it's, I think it's fair to let your mind at least entertain that idea. It's not good to dwell on it, but uh, it's, I think, irresponsible not to at least consider those, those possibilities. Yep, I agree. Yeah. Is there anything else um, you want to add before we uh, wrap up? I don't think so. I think that was a good little discussion on from both both sides of the of the view of the viewpoint. Um, me being on the client side and having things maybe not go the way that I expected, and you know, me making sure that when I go off into the future and try to you know maybe tackle another project, I'm not requesting too much from the developer side. Because that would be one of my worries is, you know, I've, I've had people talk to me and they say, shoot, I would never uh, accept a project unless I got 50% up front. Well, then that's not the person I'm going to work with. And I have to, you know, make sure I realize that, that not everybody is for me and I'm not for everybody either, for every other developer. So you just got to, you know, right. make sure you make that choice right. that you're most comfortable with. Because at the end of the day, you want things to work out successfully. And if somebody's not comfortable or somebody's right. not happy, that's not going to be how it ends up. Right. It's, I guess I would close with this. It does feel like it's, it's like love where you want the other person to be happy and you realize sometimes that maybe you're not the one for them. And with projects, I've realized that it's okay to say no. It's okay to look at something and say, ooh, that you know, be attracted to it but ultimately say I'm going to turn this one down like this one doesn't seem like a good match for whatever reason yep and that's okay and if, if I'm able to do better work and be more comfortable with the people or projects I'm working on that's better for the projects themselves and for the people who own them so hopefully that uh, is, is uh, good information for the listeners um, we do have next week uh, an attorney in the Los Angeles area who's agreed to come in and chat with us about some of the legal aspects of doing contracts. And uh, Lance, maybe you, you can tune in to that and see what he has to say as far as um, what to look for from the client. And uh, hopefully the developers out there can help brush up their own contracts as far as what should be in the contracts. And hopefully everybody gets on the same page and, and we avoid some of the headaches that might pop up when these communication breakdowns occur. So Lance, thank you very much for taking time out of your day. I know we had some technical difficulties, but we got through them and uh, yeah, really appreciate the time. Tune in next time. Thanks a lot.